you're listening to a life-changing podcast that does a deep dive into what's behind the silence, the truth no one wants to talk about, featuring two thought-provoking professional coaches who specialize in linguistic patterns of thought, feelings, and behavior. As NLP practitioners, certified and life-changing, the dynamic duel, Stacey Cutright and Stephanie Demmel. Welcome back, friends, to another episode of What's Behind the Silence, the Truth No One Wants to Talk About. And today we have a really uh, impactful um, episode, and this one is going to be on forgiveness. Real quick, Steph, how are you doing today? You know what? I ha- I walked outside today. Well, it was dark when I walked outside because you and I, we were co- we record pretty early right so I walked outside because I was like I don't want baby Bruce my rooster to like be all over our podcast so I went out and it was dark and but it was such an amazing morning and I look outside my window right now and it's going to be a gorgeous day and that excites me because it's gardening season and I love to garden so I love watching things grow so I'm in a great mood We'll see by Um, the end of the podcast, though. (laughs) Oh, yeah. You know, guys, I I just am honored. You know, um, this is a week of podcast of sharing stories, you know, Monday, Wednesday, and uh, Friday, you know, um, we will have another guest speaker on. And, you know, these are personal stories that bring a lot of uh, emotions, feelings, um, some sadness, some pain. Uh, however, also show a lot of resiliency. And, you know, I know today, uh, Stephanie has struggled a little bit, you know, do I share this story in full for the first time? And so I, you know, I just want to tell you, you know, from the bottom of my heart, uh, how grateful I am that you're willing to share this story, and how immensely proud I am of you. Um, you. I, I really am. And so if you, if I may, I, w- I just want to start with the definition that psychologists, you know, generally define forgiveness as, and then I just felt that that would be a great, you know, uh, way to identify as you're sharing your story, where you really are in that de- definition of forgiveness. Yeah. Okay. It's a conscious, deliberate, decision to release feelings of resentment or vengeance towards a person or group who has harmed you, regardless of whether they actually deserve your forgiveness. And when I read that, to be very honest, Steph, you know, you're, you're, you know, you've been working on this quite some time. And, you know, it hasn't been that long that that you have found that forgiveness. And so I'm going to let you take the forum because this is not an arena that I have reached yet. So thank you so much. You know, thank you, Stacy, And more importantly, thank you for the support because, you know, telling our stories is it's hard, you know, it's hard and it's um, uncomfortable and you, I, I don't want to minimize how great my parents were because I had an amazing, look at me, I'm getting choked up already. I had an amazing childhood. However, sometimes life doesn't turn out the way you expect it to. And so I just want to tell my story because to me, 
forgiveness is everything because if you can't learn to forgive yourself and to forgive others, whether they know it or not, because it's not about them knowing whether you forgive them. It's about you. And so today I'm going to talk about um, my story. I'm going to tell it. And I'm also going to tell, you know, talk about how it affected me and then how it changed me, how it made me a better person. And, you know, this story started back when I was five years old. And I want to preface this again. You know, I have a video I made yesterday and I sent it to a friend because I wanted feedback because the last thing I want to do is um, not honor my parents. They are so amazing and I learned so many qualities from them. However, I had a lot of resentment. So I want to tell my story because letting go of that resentment will change your life. And I'm human, I'm a work in progress, but I can tell you I've let it go. And so I'm ready to tell that story. I let it go. And I can't tell you how amazing that feels. Wish I would have done it about 20 years earlier. Wish I would have learned some of these lessons a little bit earlier. But the funny thing is that, you know, we learn our greatest lessons sometimes from our, our biggest life's disappointments. So let me, collect, let me collect myself here and I'll tell you this story. So my story started at five years old. Now, let me preface. I had a nucleus family, my mom and dad. Um, my dad was a police officer. My mom was a secretary most of her life. They don't call it that anymore, but that's what she was. And, you know, they raised us Catholics. I went to a Catholic grade school, high school. I had the best upbringing. <laughs> we lived on Bel Air Street and it, it was amazing. I had, I had a wonderful upbringing where they taught me service and community and loyalty and character and, you know, just right from wrong. And they have really helped me shape my moral compass. And, and that's an important piece that I want you all to remember is that they really helped me shape my moral compass for what's right and wrong. And my upbringing in the Catholic church was an amazing experience. I had three brothers. I had, there's 26 grandchildren from my mom's side of the family. My, my uh, grandma and grandpa had 26 grandchildren, not to mention all the second and third cousins that came with that. But I had an amazing family, so supported. I just felt like life could never go wrong. Well, five years old, I was a little bit, um, I felt a little bit different. You know, again, I was raised, most of the people in my neighborhood were boys. I always hung out with the boys. I always wanted to be outside with dad. I wanted to be playing basketball in the driveway. I wanted to be the quarterback of the neighborhood. I wanted to be playing hot box. I wanted to be playing 500. And I was always taking charge of all those games because that was just the leadership in front of, you know, that I came with. And at five years old, I found myself really being attracted to my neighbor, Dana Bach. And she, she had no idea, I'm sure, but at five years old, like I remember one time where we had fish lips and we did this little kiss and it was just silly, crazy, but that was kind of like the change that started to happen. And over time, I always felt a little bit different. And 
I used to carry pictures of girls in my pocket. I used to show up late at night on the weekends at some of my girlfriends who I really just had to be around, you know, because I didn't know. I didn't know. And I never had dates with boys and I really had poor self-esteem. I always called myself the ugly duckling. I had this awful haircut in high school and, you know, I was the most popular athlete in my high school. I, I was um, a, a very strong leader. I was a great student. However, I just, I didn't have that great self-esteem because I just felt different. I was highly accomplished throughout my high school career, my grade school career. I was a great student. Um, I love the teachers. They love me. And I really felt like I served others pretty well as a kid. And I was always involved and I wanted to be involved. I was in Girl Scouts and, but there was just still this thing about me that was different than everybody else. I couldn't understand why guys didn't want to date me. I couldn't understand why nobody would like, you know, want to be with me, you know, when all my other friends were having boyfriends and things like that. So I already felt different. Well, fast forward to when I was 20 years old, I went to college. And during college, I had a crowd of people I, I hung out with. I had a blast in college. I was doing great, great, good grades and everything, really establishing myself as, a, as an adult. Well, my junior year at Missouri State, my group of friends decided instead of writing a paper one night, they'd take me to a gay bar. Well, little naive Catholic girl who had never even heard the word gay before went. And I realized as I sat there in that bar and everybody's dancing that I was the only, I, I mean, I realized that I knew almost every single person in that bar. So you can imagine being a naive little Catholic girl, how that hit me. I broke my hand that night. I got extremely drunk. Let's reverse that order. I got extremely drunk, broke my hand. Um, just kind of went off the deep end a little bit because I didn't know what was going on. Fast forward, I quit college and moved home after that year because I was so confused. I get home, tell my parents that I came home for money. I'm going to live with them. I'm going to take some classes at the local college. Great. I met my first girlfriend. So suddenly I was spending all this time with people that looked different, shorter haircuts, more boyish. I'd bring them into the house. My parents were like, hmm, who are these people? Well, one of the ladies we were running around with, who was not a very good person, hindsight 2020, found that out, told my parents that I was running around with a lot of gay people. So you can imagine being thrown out of the closet when I didn't even know if I was gay. I had no idea. I was just trying to figure life out at the age of 20 and all this was rushing at me. So I come home one night and there's my parents sitting in the red room and they have these very disappointing looks on their face and they lay into me. Are you gay? Why are you hanging out with these people? Do we need to get a priest, a counselor? Are you gay? Are you, you're a sinner. You can't be gay. You're a sinner. You can't receive communion. You can't go to church. You're going straight to hell. So this is what I experienced. And 
here alone, I didn't know what was going on with myself. And not to minimize all the behavior, they were doing the best they could with what they knew. I was doing the best I could with what I knew at that time. We didn't know a lot because we obviously didn't handle the situation very well together because when they pushed at me, I pushed back. And I was so independent that I wasn't going to stand for somebody telling me that I wasn't okay. So it just created this huge uproar. And the pushing continued. They tried to surprise me with a priest. They tried to drag me to a counselor. They wrote me letters, letters. My mom being the Catholic she is and being um, just that this was the most horrific thing that her child could experience, wrote me a letter and said she'd really rather hear us pregnant. That's what the letter I got from my mom. So you can imagine how that made me feel. And then I remember I went back to school after my after that little break because it just got worse, right? So my out was, well, let's just go back to Missouri State and let's finish my college career. Thankfully, I had a really good group of friends that I was going back to. But I remember one day I was living at my friend Rhonda's house and I rushed home from school. And oh, and by the way, I'd already lost my license because I had a DUI. I ran two stop signs, got tickets for those. I had um, a speeding ticket, two speeding tickets. Um, so I was a disaster. From that one year, I was a complete disaster. My behavior was so erratic and I had created all these negative outcomes. So I'm already way down in the dumps, right? Totally just low self-esteem. And then all of a sudden, I get home from school, I rush in, grab the mail, and I remember exactly where I was standing. I was standing in Rhonda's front door, and I opened this letter. It was from my, from my dad. And I was like, well, that's weird, because I really haven't heard from my parents a whole lot, because, you know, they were upset, as I was, and we didn't know how to communicate. I opened the letter, and my dad wrote me, and he doesn't remember this nor do I hold it against him anymore, <laughs> took years, but he wrote me a letter and said he'd rather hear that I was killed in a car accident. Well, for a 21 year old, that was pretty devastating. And it didn't make sense to me because how did I change? I was this thriving young lady with tremendous leadership skills. I got a very, the highest, honor award that you could get at my high school for loyalty, character, and service. And so I was so confused. It didn't make sense. Like my dad wanted me dead because I was gay. My mom wanted me pregnant because I was gay. And none of it made sense. So again, what did I do? I pushed back because I'm a human being and nobody's going to make me feel bad. Well, I felt bad. We kept fighting. Um, the remarks continued. I got an email that said, come home by within two days or we're going to burn all your stuff. So me and my two straight friends that I worked at Burger King with my senior year of college, Haley and Tammy, we picked up 
and we drove home. My dad was sleeping because he worked nights. He was a cop and it was just his rotation. I snuck in, grabbed all as much stuff as I could and thought, well, I guess they're going to burn the rest of it. And I left. And I didn't talk to him for a very long time. I didn't come home for holidays because when I did, it was a complete disaster shit show. It was bad. It was, I had all this resentment. I had all this disappointment. I had all this guilt because the way I behaved, I, it's like I couldn't stop this wheel of bad behavior that I was on because I felt bad. And so I kept punishing myself by doing all this destructive behavior. So for about 20 years, two decades, there wasn't really a relationship with my parents. Probably that's why I'm so focused on helping teenagers, especially teens that, you know, struggle with that, that parental relationship. That's, that's where my focus is. But, you know, for 20 years, I treated my mom terrible. I held it against her. I held it over her head the whole time. And I always say my mom, because I never really did that with my dad. For some reason, I always thought it was all mom. Probably because mom was the voice. She was always the one delivering the news. Now, I was mad at my dad. Don't get me wrong, because how can you write a letter to your child and tell them that you'd rather hear they were, they were killed in a car accident than be gay? But I always thought it was her. So I punished her. And I punished my dad, too, but probably not as severely. But it drove every decision I made. And here's how it affected me. And I want everybody to understand that, you know, this is my story and I just hope my story can help bring some attention to maybe some pain or guilt or regret or disappointment or rejection that you have within your life and try to find your way through it so that you can forgive yourself and be able to forgive the other people involved because it does cleanse your soul. So here's how it affected me. You know, for years, for years, I tried so hard to prove my worth, so hard within my job, my career, and even at the expense of other relationships that I was having. It was, I don't care what you think, I'm going to go do this for my career because I'm going to prove to myself and everybody else that I'm not a piece of shit. So it really drove me in a weird way. I was drinking a lot. Oh my God, did I drink? I would have these rages. Um, I remember I was with my rugby team and my rugby coach, he was just a jerk anyway. I loved him, Gordo. But man, I remember being at the Lake of the Ozarks and he got me so mad and I punched the wall, broke my hand again for the third time. I put a hole in a wall at an apartment building when I was in Jeff City, Missouri, right after my parents found out, I put a hole in the wall. I already told you I was arrested for drinking and driving. Like, it was just everything. Everything was going so bad. Like, it was like I had so much negative energy that it, it dictated my outcome. And that's an important lesson in itself. Like, what our behaviors, it dictates our outcomes. I felt like 
the victim. I blame my parents for the way my life was and all my money struggles earlier in my career or in my life. And it was their fault. They didn't love me. I played that victim very well. Um, I didn't trust people because I had in my head, how can anyone love me if my parents don't love me? My family doesn't love me. How can, how can anyone love me? And I always pushed people away. I kept everybody at an arm's distance. And, you know, it made me feel guilty. I felt guilty the way I behaved subconsciously. I let my family down. I let my mom and dad down. Nobody ever asked me if I wanted to be gay. I didn't know. Nobody ever asked me that. I didn't want to be gay because gay came with a lot of tough things. I never would have chose that, but I was never asked that. I was that black sheep. I didn't feel worthy. And I battled loving myself for so many years, but I had so much deep down guilt because of like, I couldn't stop my behavior because I was so fueled and so charged with that, that rejection, that disappointment, and that, that anger towards them, that it just continued to fuel my bad behavior. You know, and it affected how my, you know, it really took me in a tailspin about what my values and my beliefs were about my life because I was raised one way to serve the community, be kind, be compassionate, um, be, be a good citizen, blah, blah, blah. Well, you can imagine that after I felt dejected, that one thing in my life ruined all that for me. So my values and beliefs were up in arms, which is why my behaviors were so bad. You know, it really affected the way I perceived relationships how, how I could love someone, they love me back. And the other thing was I really, because I wanted to be loved so bad, I just allowed anyone and everyone in my life, whether they were good for me or bad for me, because I didn't care because I didn't have the love of my family. So I had to make up for it with friends. And so I surrounded myself with a lot of people that took advantage of me. And that, that really hurt me down the stretch. And I always thought, how can one thing about me ruin everything? Like, my life didn't matter after that. That, whoa, I'm gay, so everything up till then didn't matter. So it just continued to fuel me. And, you know, every time I would hit the Jeff City limits, city limits, all this anger and all this just disappointment, which just come back inside, it was like a switch. And so every time I hit the Jeff City limits, my hometown to see my family when I did go, which was not very often, every, all the emotions would resurface. And I anticipated that the visit was going to be absolutely terrible because they all had been prior. I didn't even give an opportunity to have a good visit. I would sabotage it. It always ended in a fight. I always left a day or two early because of a fight. So it was looking, it was like I was looking to pick a fight every time I went home. And again, I held it over my family's head, my mom and dad's head. 
Well, then I always used to say, you know, the only thing that's going to bring us back together is if something bad happens in our family. Well, something bad happened. My mom. She got cancer. Terminal. Terminal. And I wanted to reconcile, like talk about it. <laughs> she wasn't having it. <laughs> Bless her heart. She was so mad about dying. She wasn't. She's like, nope, don't want to have this conversation. I remember when she was laying on the couch and it was towards the end of her life. And I really wanted to reconcile, but never happened. You know, it wasn't until mom passed that I kind of learned the real story, or at least I think I know the real story. So I forgave my mom before she died. In fact, it made me feel guiltier. Because I, I held on to that, that, you know, lack of forgiveness for so long. So I forgave her before she died, but why did it take that? Why did it take her getting terminal cancer to reconcile? So if you have somebody out there that you haven't reconciled with, don't wait. Don't wait to get your pride out of the way. So when mom passed, she had kept diaries, journals for years and years and years. And again, remember, I held so much over my mom's head, but not so much over my dad's. Well, I've learned a lot about my parents over the last 10 years. And I'll tell you, my dad's not one of many words. He's always joking around. He's happy-go-lucky. And having serious conversations is not his forte. Well, when mom died, I started reading some diaries. Do you know, it was never my mom keeping the relationship severed. My dad would feed my mom with a lot of information. My mom was just the messenger. And when I found this out, <laughs> I held it over my dad's head. I treated him poorly. I would be rude to him. I would chew him out. You know, because for me, I, I'm a person that has to get it out. I got to get it out. I want to talk about it. I want to solve it. And I even cared for him. And I still hadn't forgiven him. And I cared for him after his three strokes. And I probably wasn't the most compassionate at times, but I tried. You know, I tried as hard as I could. But I now not only did I not, now I was so mad because not only was I mad about all the last 30 years, I was mad because here this whole time I thought it was my mom driving this. And yet it was more him. So where it changed was my lovely wife, Carissa. She's my biggest coach. And she would see every time I go to Jeff City, like I would change, like completely change as a person. I always fought with my brothers. You know, one of the biggest th things of guilt that I had was my brother, Heath. He is younger than me, six years. And I, I feel like I raised him when he was young. And at 14 years old, 
we went to uh, Lee's Chicken on the Boulevard in Jeff City, and I confirmed to him that I was gay, and that was the biggest disappointment. I think he was really embarrassed about me after that. He struggled with it. I know he struggled with it. I've had conversations with my sister-in-law about it. Um, so letting him down, I think, was so hard. I carried that with me for a long time. So my wife noticed, Carissa noticed that, you know, just want to point out that every time you go home, you have all these emotions. Like you're expecting it to go wrong. What keeps you doing that? So I had to look inside and she was right. Every time, every trip home was tripped down terrible memory lane and wow. I was harboring all those feelings because I just really hadn't forgiven the whole me. I hadn't forgiven myself for the way I behaved. I hadn't forgiven my father. Um, I had forgiven my mother, but I hadn't forgiven my brother either because of how he responded to me. So I did some soul searching and, you know, it really honestly wasn't until last summer that I really honestly forgave my father all the way. And it changed my life. It changed how I interact with my family. My brother actually came down this past summer with his family. And, you know, my family never came to see me. I can count on my hand, one hand, how many times my family came to see me in 30 years. 30 years, one hand. So you can imagine how that made me feel as well. However, he came down and he told his, he told his wife, my sister-in-law, Jamie, he said, Steph's different. One, maybe I was in my own environment, but I had, I had let go of a lot of that, I guess, anger. And I had started to forgive myself over the last several years and forgiving myself help me to forgive others. And it's changed my life. It's changed my relationship with my dad. It's changed my relationship with my brother, who I absolutely adore. I think he's the most amazing man. And, you know, it made me realize that sometimes you just don't know the whole story. And you know, forgiving myself, let go of all those emotions. I don't have anxiety when I go home anymore. I look forward to going home. I look forward to being with my family. I'm trying to make up for lost time. I'm human. I don't have any judges or grudges. I don't have any anger. And I certainly feel at peace. And it's been a long road, you know, it, it was quite the burden to carry, but I carried it way too long. And letting go of that has really helped me um, calm my soul and calm, you know, that inner peace that help, it helps support that inner peace inside me to where I can enjoy the people who should be the most closest to me is my family. And so, um, yeah, Stacy, it was uh, it was a difficult time. 
and um, you know the importance of forgiveness. It's life changing. And again, you don't have to let the other person know. It's not about them. It's about you and your journey. Because people are going to do things to us. It's just really how we respond and how we can navigate through that mess. So I hope this, you know, just helps someone out there that um, is holding on to that rejection, that disappointment, that anger. And I hope it can allow you to get a little peace and find forgiveness because, again, Forgiveness, if you don't forgive, you harbor a lot of feelings that impact everything you do. So thank you, Stacy, for letting me share my story today. Well, let me tell you, I used more tissues again. <laughs> uh, so did I. <laughs> and, and, and I appreciate, you know, you and I talk quite often and we talk about a lot of deep things. And, you know, I... Um, like I said, I'm honored to be able to hear your story because I have not heard it in, in, in detail, just a couple of bits and pieces. And as well as, you know, I am so grateful that our, our lives have crossed and, uh, you know, and I shared before, um, Stephanie was my NLP, uh, teacher. And, uh, when, when I, I'd gone back to school to be a neurolinguistics programming practitioner. And so that's how our journey had started. And, and I hope that it's a lifelong journey. Um, and, you know, wow. You know, I, I will say, as I'm sitting here, I don't know if the word is jealous. Is I feel bad to say I'm jealous. Um, you know, I have forgiven myself and I've forgiven a lot of people. But I'll, I'll tell you, man, I'm, I'm waiting to drop the rock. And I say to myself often, what, Stacey, what is it going to freaking take? What is it going to take? And for me, um, the hard thing is, is, is accountability. And I feel that I've taken a lot of accountability in my life. And others are skating free. And um, which again, is that, that, you know, kind of mentality of revenge you know, um, resentments and everything. So, you know, I'm so proud of you and the journey that you've taken. And uh, that has not been an easy one because, you know, I'm one of those that you're speaking to out there. And your message was very impactful to me today. Thanks, Stacey. And uh, I'm one, and I'll admit it, I got to step up my game. And so you're an inspiration to me, sweetheart. And uh, each day you keep, you know, you keep uh, pushing me to be a better version of myself. 
you and Carissa. And I really, um, yeah, I can't wait to, till you know, we get to see each other on Zoom and, and, and to, you know, or video call or on the phone or whatever, but I can't wait to see you in person. And, uh, you know, folks, you know, Steph and I have some big plans coming up that we'll be excited to share with you. And uh, again, Steph, thank you. Thank you for the support, Stacey, because, you know, again, I think we talked about this in the last podcast. We all have a burden. When we can really be real and raw with our burdens, it allows us to really open our soul to find what's important for us to find our purpose and passion. Absolutely. And it's, it's an important journey, such an important journey. Hence why we're doing this podcast. You know, guys, uh, you know, just to kind of tell you how this on, on, you know, unraveled and how we, we, and this is the truth, you know, God honest truth is that I want to do a podcast. However, I was very scared and, um, you know, for, for years, you know, in real estate, they say, you know, do videos, do this while well, I hated my voice. So anyway, I'm talking to the Steph about it. And she said, you know, I've always wanted to do a podcast. And so the next words out of her mouth were, let's do it. We did. <laughs> and so then we said, well, what should we call it? And so Steph says, I think it should be what's behind the silence. And I said, well, you know, I kind of think that we should talk about the truth no one wants to talk about. And so the dynamic duo said, well, had a brainiac idea and said, there you go. What's behind the silence? The truth no one wants to talk about. And so I think it was what, a day or two later, you and I re were recording our first we podcast. Were. We were. And, uh, you know, my brother, when I had told him, he goes, oh, now you're a big podcaster, you know, are you going to forget the little guy? And he goes, you know, you're so impulsive. I said, impulsive. I said, this is something I've wanted to do for quite some time. However, I had someone that was willing to support me and saw the same vision. And so, you know what? We can have dreams. However, if we don't put things to action, that's all there are is dreams. Yeah. And so, you know, friends, I, I, I understand that, you know, our beginning, you know, we're trying to get better. We're trying to add music. We're trying to, you know, um, make this more interesting. So, you know, bear with us. I know the beginning was, was a little rough, but you know, heck, you know, I, I was, uh, new to it. So anyway, I will, I will jump off here and, uh, I hope that you have an awesome, awesome rest of the week guys. And remember smile and be kind and do better, be better and treat people better. Thank you, Steph. You're welcome. And love you guys, friends. Love, love you, friends. Enjoy love you your too. week. Love you too. Bye-bye.